If you have a Bible, you can turn to Jonah. We're going to look one more time at the book of Jonah. Um, if you want to get a head start next week, we're going to start looking at 1 Peter. And if you want to, um, I would encourage you actually to take some time this week. It's not a really long book. I would encourage you to take some time and actually read through the whole book as we get ready to, to start going through that, that book. But uh, we're going to spend one more week here on Jonah. We're going to look at Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. We've, we've seen how God has spoken to Jonah, and Jonah has run, has uh, defied God, has run in the opposite direction. God has hunted him down, and, and even though Jonah's been thrown into the sea and deserves to drown at the bottom of the sea, God rescues him and, and brings him back and then tells him to go to Nineveh. We've seen him go to Nineveh, and we've seen Nineveh, the people of Nineveh, repent and, and show us what repentance looks like last week. And, and now we're going to look at how Jonah responds. Um, once Nineveh repents and, and God decides not to destroy their city, this is how Jonah responds. And I've got to warn you, if you haven't read Jonah before, it's kind of disappointing. It's really disappointing um, and discouraging even as you read this. Um, most of us just know the Jonah story, you know, is, is him getting swallowed by the fish and then spit up. But, you know, it, it actually doesn't really end all that well. But through it, God wants to teach us something, I think. He wants to teach us about compassion. And that's what we're going to think about this morning as we look at Jonah chapter 4. So listen to God's word as I read. This again is Jonah responding to God's decision not to destroy Nineveh. It says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die, and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow which came into being on, in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would open our eyes this morning as we look at this chapter. Um, we pray that you would help us to see uh, your truth, to help us to see what you want us to, to see and to learn what you want us to learn. We pray that your spirit would work in our hearts, that you would show us Christ, that you would show us our need, and that you would change us. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Deserved. Deserved. I have to admit, um, 
you might think less of me, but I get some delight, some satisfaction when I see somebody get what's coming to them. You know, when somebody's being extremely self-centered or mean or, or, or doing something foolish and, and then they, they get what's coming to them and, and it's just, you know, inside me, I'm just like, deserved. Um, I don't know if how many of you guys, this happens in the movies often, you know, uh, many of you guys probably have seen the movie The Incredibles, the, uh, the Pixar movie from, I don't know, 10 years ago, I can't remember how long it was, but, but the, the, it's about this superhero family, Mr. Incredible and his wife, Elastigirl, and they have several kids, and they all have superpowers, and then they have this little infant named Jack-Jack, and they're fighting this evil villain named Syndrome, and Syndrome's just out to get Mr. Incredible, but throughout the movie, eventually he doesn't succeed, Syndrome does not succeed, and Mr. Incredible and his family win, um, but Syndrome wants to make Mr. Incredible pay, so he goes to his house and he tries to kidnap his little infant son, Jack-Jack. And so Mr. Incredible and his family arrive at the house and they catch Syndrome there holding Jack-Jack in his arms and, and, uh, and Syndrome is just like, I'm, I'm going to make you pay, I'm going to steal your child, and, he, and then he like, makes a hole in the ceiling and he blasts off into the sky with little Jack-Jack in his arms. And, uh, and you're like, oh no, what's going to happen? This, I thought you know, the, end, the movie looked like it was going to end well, but now it's like, it, it looks terrible. And, and so Syndrome is blasting off up in the sky, but little does he know that little Jack-Jack has started to discover his own superhero powers. He doesn't really control them, but as Syndrome is carrying him away, Jack-Jack turns into this little ball of flame. And he's like, ah, ah! And then he turns into this like, baby of steel and he's like weighing him down and he's like trying to like lift him up in the sky and then eventually turns into this like monster baby that starts like punching him in the face and pulling out his red hair he pulls off his one of his rocket boots and then he finally just drops him you know and uh mr incredible and 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 his wife the last girl save jack jack and and syndrome gets up to the to his airplane up in the sky and he leans out the door and he's like i'm gonna get you mr incredible i will destroy you and mr incredible throws a car and hits the plane, and, it, and, and Syndrome like flies out the, out the door, and his cape gets caught in the engine, and he gets sucked into the engine, and the thing explodes. And everybody's just like, yes! <laughs> Deserved! He got what he had coming to him. You know, I, I enjoy that when I'm watching a movie, and I see somebody get what they have coming to him. I, I enjoy it in real life, too, though. You know, I, have you guys ever seen... I like, I've seen a CCTV like, footage of a guy robbing a store and then he tries to run out the store and he slips and he knocks himself out on the counter or something like that. And you're just like, deserved. That's deserved. I also, you know, when I see little kids and they are like running for the front of the line to cut everybody else and they're like elbowing past everybody and then they trip and they fall flat on their face, even then I'm like, deserved. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I'm, I, it's not pretty, I realize. It's not nice. <laughs> And yet I do get satisfaction. And so as I look at Jonah 4, there's elements of me when I see Jonah and his behavior and he's, you know, he's whining and he's angry after all that God has done for him, after God shows himself to be who he is and, and he's merciful and he's kind and Jonah's just angry and, and, he's, and he's, you know, and then God provides this, this, this hot, scorching wind and he's left there, you know, with the sun beating down on him and a scorching wind and, and he's just like, miserable. Uh, there's a part of me that's just like, Jonah, it's deserved, man. It's deserved. Because you have not learned anything. You haven't learned anything. And he hasn't learned anything about what God is trying to teach him, about how, he, how God wants him to view other people, about how God wants him to, to, to show his grace and, and his presence to other people. 
And I think that's what he wants to, to teach us a little bit more about this morning, is how he wants to view other people and how he wants us to be people who are characterized as much as anything else by compassion rather than self-centeredness and anger and judgment, which is what Jonah seems to be characterized by here at the end. I mean, it's, it's so irritating when you look at Jonah. I don't know if you get irritated as, you, as you've just read this last chapter, if you've read it before. Do you get irritated with Jonah as you look at him? I get so irritated by his anger. You know, when he first responds to, to God's kindness to Nineveh, and it says he is angry in verse 1. He's exceedingly displeased with what God has done. And he's so angry, he's just like, I just want to die. I'd rather die than see you be kind to these people. He's just so angry, and his anger is just sustained throughout the whole chapter as he gets angry about this plant that then is taken away from him, that's giving him some shade. It's so easy to be irritated by him and, and, and by all sorts of different aspects of him. I mean, it's, it's, it's easy for me to get irritated, first of all, with his, his prejudice. It's easy to get irritated with his prejudice. You know, he finally admits in verse, in verse uh, is it in verse two, why he ran from God in the first place, right? He, he admits that he ran from God because he didn't want Nineveh to experience God's mercy. He hated Nineveh. He was putting himself in a place of judge over Nineveh. He thought the people of Nineveh were beneath him. He does, it doesn't say exactly why he hated Nineveh so much. And we can guess and assume that part of it is that, that, that at the time Nineveh was, was a, an enemy of Israel. They were a threat to Israel. Eventually Nineveh, Assyria, would conquer Israel. That might be why he hated them so much. It might have just been because they were evil. And they did not worship Jonah's God. And so immediately he thought, you know, the, he, he defined Nineveh by the worst characteristics of who they were. And so he immediately he just judged them all. And he thought he was better than them all. And, and, and he wanted them to die. And, and yet, it's so crazy. He, he looks at this group of people and he's like, they don't deserve God's kindness. They don't deserve my kindness. And yet, look at how much he has experienced God's kindness throughout the book. And this is why it's so irritating, right? Because Jonah himself has proven that he does not deserve God's kindness in the way that he has run from God and disobeyed God. And yet God has rescued him. God has keep, kept him alive. God has continued to use him. And so his prejudice just irritates me, how he's so quick to judge other people. And, and second of all, he's irritating because of his pride. You notice how prideful he is as he talks to God, as he prays to God here at the beginning of the chapter? And he says, this is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Can you imagine, this guy, he seems annoyed with God. He thinks he knows better than God of how to interact, how to take care, how to take care of things in this world, how to deal with the people of Nineveh. He puts himself above God here in his pride. And it's irritating to me after God has proven that he has ultimate authority throughout this whole book. He's shown how, how he has sovereignly worked in all sorts of different ways as he's brought the storm in chapter 1, as he provides the fish in chapter 2. Here, multiple times, he provides this worm, and he provides the plant, and he provides the scorching wind. He's, he's in control of all things. He's sovereign. He's rescued Jonah miraculously, sovereignly, and yet Jonah thinks he is above God, and he knows what is best in his pride. And then what gets really irritating, it gets even ludicrous, when you look at, at Jonah's plant. Jonah's plant. Look at how Jonah gets so angry 
because God provides this plant to give him shade for a day, and then the plant goes away. A worm comes and destroys the plant, right? And then Jonah gets really mad. And, it's, and it's, it's silly as you look at Jonah, as you look at him, he's like, I'd rather die than live without my plant. I mean, isn't that crazy? That Jonah is so angry about this plant that he's, he's just, you know, that the comfort that he got from this plant that, that he, he doesn't want to do without. And he's just angry about it and, and, and so consumed with himself. It's just silly. It's just silly. And it's so easy for, my, for me to look at Jonah and to be irritated with him and be like, he deserves everything he gets. But we need to be continually realizing that whenever we are irritated with somebody else, have you noticed this? When you're really irritated with somebody else, it's often because you display the same characteristics in your own life. You have the same failures in your own life. I'm, I mean, Paul makes reference to that later in, in, the, in the Bible, in the New Testament, in the book of Romans. He, he talks to the, to, the, to the people who have the law, and he says, you who judge others. Don't you do the very same things you judge them for? Have you guys ever noticed this about yourselves, that, that you, you find yourself sometimes, occasionally, noticing that you're doing the th- same things that you judge other people for? It happens to me. It's happen- been happening to me a lot more lately, even a- in my driving as I drive around. It's so easy. I mean, all of us are so quick to judge other people for their driving techniques and their, and their insensitivities when they're driving, you know, when they're... Uh, when they're tailgating you or going too slow or, or cutting in front of you on an exit or something like that. And, and, and I, I'm, I'm always quick to be frustrated and annoyed with people when they do things I don't like on the road. But especially lately, I've been, I've been noticing, God maybe has been pointing it out to me how I, you know, I'll be driving down the road and I'll be distracted because I'll be like thinking about something. My, I'll be engrossed in something and I'll look down and I'm going like five miles below, below the speed limit and there's like three cars behind me. And that's the exact same thing I get frustrated with other people for, you know, or, or often I, I get so annoyed. I know you guys get annoyed. I think I've talked about this before. When, when, you're, you know, on, on, when you're going on Route 80 to get on 287, there's this long line of people. You should wait in your turn, right? And then it gets so annoying when everybody just kind of drives by and then scoots in right at the end. And I mean, I, I, it happens to me, I'll, I'll be, I'll, you know, you, you judge things too late and you miss the end of the line and you're like, oh no, I can't get in. And then you're just like driving down and you're like, I'm going to have to do it. I'm going to have to do it. I hate this. But, and then you get in, you know, you get in and I, you know, congratulate myself because I get in without disrupt, disrupting the flow of traffic, I'm sure. But, but, you know, we do the very same things. And, and the whole point, my whole point is this, as frustrated, as irritated as I get with, with Jonah, I need to realize Jonah is the mirror for me. He's a mirror for my own heart in the way that I am prejudiced, that in, the, in the way that I define other people by the worst things about them, and I make quick judgments about them, and, and I think that I am better than them, whether it's whole groups of people. You know, we do it when it comes to our culture, when it, we do it when, it when it comes to a people of a different race, when we do it, we do it when it comes to a different people, a, a different, people of a different age. We do it when it comes to uh, people of a different political party, Right? Um, we're merciless with people who are different than us, with who, who believe different things than us. And, and that's me. And I'm so prideful. I'm so prideful in the way that I, I tend to think that I know better than God, quite often, when I get frustrated with the way that he's, you know, working in my life, the way that he's causing my life to go, the things that he's bringing into my life, I get, I get annoyed, I get frustrated with him. I think that I know better how my life should go. You know, we're, we're prideful as we look at God's words here 
so many of us kind of just pick and choose what we want to obey, what we want to listen to, and we ignore the stuff that we don't like or don't agree with or don't think is you know, that comfortable. We, we are prideful in the way that we interact with God, the way that we interact with his words to us. We think we know better than him. And, you know, as silly as Jonah is with his plant, we all have plants that we love, that we cling to in our lives. And, and the most frustrating thing is that Jonah, Jonah this, this plant seems to be more important to Jonah than the people do around him. And that's what happens to us. We have plants in our lives that get in the way from us loving the people because we love these plants more than we love the people. We, we cling to these plants more than we're willing to give ourselves to the people around us. And I, maybe some of you guys are, are real plant lovers and maybe plants are the thing for you, but for most of us, it's other things. You know, for, for a lot of us, it's, it's, our, it's our schedule, it's our agenda, it's, it's making sure our day happens just the way we want it to and, and we're fo- so focused on, on our agenda and, our, and clinging to our agenda that we miss the people around us. We love our agenda and our schedule more than we love the people that interrupt that agenda, right? We, we love our comfort more than we love the people around us at times. You know, after, after a long day when I'm tired and I just want to sit on the couch, maybe watch some TV, I want to cling to my comfort instead of getting up and helping out with a chore around the house or actually investing and listening to my kids, spending time with them. We have all sorts of plants that we cling to. You know, our need to be right. Some of us cling to our need to be right and that trumps our ability to love the people around us. We all have different plants in our lives that we're clinging to that we love more than the people around us. And we're like Jonah in this. We're like Jonah. But what I believe, and, and, and the problem is that, that our prejudice, our pride, our, the, our plants get in the way of our ability to show compassion. Get in the way of our ability to see people's needs and, and, and care for them and love them. And I think that's what God, a big part of what God wants us to see in the book of Jonah is he wants us to, he, he, he's inviting us into his compassion for people. He's inviting us to, to see people the way that he sees them. And he does this in Jonah's life. He invites Jonah into his compassion by asking him several questions, you know. He, a couple times he says, do you do well to be angry? Do you have a right to be angry about, about what I have done, about this plant? And, and in the end, he ends the, ends the book with a question, should I not pity Nineveh? Should I not pity Nineveh? And, and through these questions and through what God says, he's inviting Jonah to see people the way he sees them and to show compassion to them, to love them. And so I just want to mention two things that, that God kind of points out about how he wants Jonah to see people, how he wants us to see people that'll move us towards greater compassion. And the first is, he wants us to see others as made by him. As those who are made by him. This is part of the whole object lesson of the plant. This is one of the reasons God provides this plant as an object lesson for Jonah, right? He says in verse 10, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. He's saying, Jonah, you are clinging to this plant. You feel sorry for this plant, for the loss of this plant, even though you did nothing to make this plant grow. Shouldn't I pity Nineveh? A, a city full of people 
that I have invested in, that I have created, that I have made in my image, shouldn't I pity them? If you have pity for this little plant that you didn't do anything to make come into being, shouldn't I have pity on these people that I created, that bear my stamp, that reflect who I am? He's inviting Noah, I mean, he's inviting Jonah to, to see that these people in Nineveh aren't just some abstract, you know, group of people who are wicked, who are evil. They're actually people that God has made, that God cares about. And hopefully as, as, he, as he understands that, if he understands that, it will transform the way that he looks at them. Doesn't it, doesn't it transform the way that we look at things when, when somebody we care about makes something? Doesn't it transform the way that we look at that thing? I mean, I, I have things, I have pictures hanging in my office that my kids drew when they were little. Now, if I found one of those pictures, um, or if I found one in a store for sale, I wouldn't think twice uh, about just walking right by it, right? If I didn't know who made it, if I didn't know who drew it. Um, if I found one sitting in the foyer, it didn't have a name on it, I didn't know who drew it or anything, I'd probably just take it and throw it in the trash. But because I know that it was made by someone I love, by someone I care about, I take it and I put it on the wall or we put it on a refrigerator, right? It transforms the way that we look at that thing. And so God says, if you would be able to see people as made by, pe- by me, as, as ones that I've created, that bear my image, that I care about, it will transform the way that you look at them. No matter what they have done, no matter how different they are, it transforms the way you look at them. And so God is inviting us to look at the people around us, no matter who it is, they've been made by God. They bear his image. He cares about them. He has invested in them. And if you care about God, you should care about them, about showing compassion to them. And the other thing is, is God wants uh, Jonah and he wants us to see others as needing grace. Verse 11 says this, God, God says, should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? They don't know their right hand from their left. What does he mean by that? I don't think it means that in Assyria they don't teach the kids their right and left, you know, with the, with the L thing on your left hand. Uh, it's, it's, it's an idiom, it's a, it's a saying that's used back then. It's talking about these people are helpless, particularly when it comes to their moral ability. They're helpless. They, they, they aren't capable of distinguishing even right from wrong. And they need God to break into their lives. They need God's grace. They need Jonah to bring God's grace to them. They are helpless. They are in need. They're a needy people. And the problem is Jonah just views them as the enemy. Jonah views them as the adversary rather than viewing them as people who are helpless and people who need grace. And I think this is what God invites us to, to realize that every single person around us, it's so easy to look at the people around us as obstacles that are getting in our way, as people that are annoying us or frustrating us, as people who are radically different from us that we disagree with. God is inviting us to, to notice that every single person around us is in need, in need of his help, in need of his grace, and he wants to work through you to give it to him. Um, one of the movies that I've seen recently that I, I loved more than any movie I've seen this year for sure is a movie called Wonder. I don't know if any, how many of you guys have seen the movie Wonder, but it's a, it's a tremendous movie. I was moved so much by this. I, I learned 
from this movie. I was, I was uh, you know, dra- dra- dramatically impacted by this movie. But if you don't know the story of this movie, it's a, it's a, it's a story about this. I thought it was going to be a story about this little boy named Augie Pullman who has all of these um, medical issues. He's born with, with just a, a, a host of medical problems, and he has to have all these surgeries to, to have his hearing repaired and his ability to see and, and even to kind of look kind of normal, although he doesn't look normal. He doesn't look like any other kids. And then he's been homeschooled his whole life, and then his parents send him to public school for the first time, they send him, or private school, I guess. They send him to school for the first time when he goes to middle school. And it's about, I, I thought it was primarily just going to be about him and dealing with, you know, having to, to, to uh, you know, have the rejection of other kids and dealing with that and working through it. But really the, the movie, and I don't think this really spoils it, but the movie is, is more about several different characters throughout the movie. Um, and as you begin to watch the movie, you kind of make assumptions and judgments about people, but then you see the movie also, you see some of the events from different perspectives throughout the movie, and you start to realize that everybody even though you, you kind of made quick judgments about them at first, that they're all struggling and they all need help. They all need someone to notice them, to see them, to care about them. And the, the, the one quote that Augie says at the end of the movie just sums it all up. And he, he, says, uh, he says this, he says, Be kind, for everyone is fighting a hard battle. And if you really want to see who people are, all you have to do is look. Be kind, for everyone is fighting a hard battle. And if you really want to see who people are, all you have to do is look. That was like one of the main themes of the movie, that, that everybody is struggling and hurting. And, and, and it's amazing because the things that, I, I was like a blubbering fool throughout the movie because in the midst of all these needy people, you continually see over and over again these beautiful acts of compassion by some of the needy people for other needy people. And that's what moves me to tears often is when you see beauty. And one of the most beautiful things is, is, is someone showing compassion and love. Someone seeing another person and their need and caring about them and moving to meet that need. And this is what God, I think, is inviting us to do as we finish the book of Jonah. As we look at Jonah, he's saying, I want you to see people as I see them. I want you to see them as people that I care about, that I've made, and also as people who are needy. He wants you to see your spouse that way, your children that way, the people that you work with that way, that get under your skin. He wants you to see the people that you're sitting around here in the church that way, that we would be... uh, be able to see them, really see them, and look at them, and care, and actually move toward them to meet them with compassion, rather than just getting annoyed and angry and just looking at them, being the sort of people that just be like deserved, right? Do you guys ever play Mad Libs when you were a kid? Uh, Mad Libs, I just love Mad Libs. It's you know, it's a page full of a kind of a story, and then there's a bunch of blanks that you fill in, and you fill in the blanks however, however you want and it changes the story or radically affects the story, and it becomes very funny. And, and, uh, and you can fill in the blanks however you want. It's just inviting you to, to kind of shape the story. Um, the book of Jonah ends in a very interesting way, doesn't it? It ends with a question. There's only other, one other book in the Bible that ends with a question, but it ends with a question. You have no idea what happens to Jonah. You see Jonah acting so childish here and so selfishly, and, and sadly, like I'm the pessimist that I am, I'm like, Jonah's never going to learn. I kind of have my mind made up about how Jonah probably responded to this. But that just shows you how much, how little I've learned of the message of Jonah. 
The book ends the way it does, I think, because God is inviting us to fill in the blank. God is inviting us to say, how are we going to respond? How are we going to respond to God's call to see other people with compassion, to care about them, to really see them the way he sees them? And instead of being a person who says, deserved, God is inviting me to finish the story by looking at every other person in my life and saying, how do you want me to love them? How, God, do you want me to show them compassion in this moment in time? How might they be hurting? And I can listen to them or just look at them and, and let them know that, that I see them or actually do something to help them. He's inviting, and he's inviting me to take my lead from him because God is the ultimate one who shows us what compassion is really about, who shows us what grace is really about. And we even see it here in the last chapter of Jonah, as Jonah has proven himself to, to get everything he has coming to him. God does everything here, I think, to, to work on Jonah's heart and to bring change and to bring healing. I mean, that's really, the, the plant was an object lesson, but, but ultimately, what was the reason for the plant? If you look at verse six, it says, now the, the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. To save him from his discomfort. And again, if you have a Bible in front of you, the word discomfort has a little footnote. And actually, word that's translated discomfort is actually evil. Same word for evil earlier in the book. And the reason that God brings this plant up and does everything that he does is in order to save Jonah from the evil that is in him. That is what God does for us, in spite of the fact that we have run from his presence, in spite of the fact that we continually deserve his anger, deserve to be, to be cast into the sea. God pursues us with his grace and, and, does, and works in our lives in order to save us from our evil. And ultimately, where has he done that? He's done that in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one that he has raised up and then cut down in order to save us from our sin. It's in Jesus that we see God's compassion perfectly. And as we receive the work of Jesus, in the midst of our irritation and anger, that has the power to change us, to help us to, to, to become people who see the way God sees and love the people around us the way God loves us. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would work on our hearts this morning because we need you to work on us. We need you to work on our hearts to, to change us from people who are quick to judge, quick to, to find satisfaction in other people getting what they deserve and instead be people who are quick to move towards other people with compassion and see them the way that you see them. Help us to do that. Transform our eyesight this morning. We pray that you would do that, that we would become a glimpse of heaven for you and for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.